Well, today uh, we are continuing on, or actually I'm going to finish up a series today that we've been in called Identity Crisis. When I was, um, when I was a young person, my, uh, my church had a, we had a pattern of events that we would do every year. And uh, one of the events that we did every year uh, was our uh, leaders from our church would take us to uh, what was called Magic Springs. Magic Springs was a, a, a little amusement park that was in the state where I lived. And so all the churches in the state where I was in, they would organize every year Magic Springs Day, and all of these churches would go uh, to Magic Springs. And this was a highlight of the year for me because, of course, you got to go and you got to uh, ride roller coasters and all of that sort of stuff. But it also was a highlight of the year for me because I got to see um, other girls besides the ones in my youth group. I mean, there were some pretty girls in my youth group, but they were the same. You kind of grew up with them, so it's kind of like it was good to see other girls sometimes, right? Uh, and it was awesome because... Magic Springs Day came in the spring, so it was before summer. Church camp was always in the summer, so, so it gave you an opportunity to kind of see who the girls were that were going to be at summer camp in a few months. So that was, that was exciting, and I, um, don't judge me. Don't, don't, don't judge me. You know what, if we would, um, if we would just understand that attraction um, attraction isn't a sin. And we would stop trying to teach our young people and single people uh, that, that avoiding attraction is a fruit of the Spirit. If we would stop doing that and start teaching that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, we might be a lot more successful in this particular area. That's bonus. That's not even in my notes. So I remember this one particular year, I was really excited to go. You guys remember MC Hammer? Some of you got to have to go Google this later. Well, I had some really awesome hammer pants, and I was wearing them to Magic Springs Day, um, and I was so excited. So I was there, and uh, there was this game. You know how they have carnival games, games, and one of these games, it was... Um, you would, you would throw a ball, you would pitch a ball. I'm from America. We didn't play cricket. We played baseball. And you would throw the ball, and there was a radar gun that would say how fast you threw the ball. And uh, I remember uh, going up, and there had been these girls that I'd been kind of following around all day. They had been kind of following my group of friends and I around. And so we went to this baseball throw it pitching thing, and I think, oh, man, I'm money now because I can throw a ball really fast, and they're going to be so impressed. Um, and uh, some of you are looking at me like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we get there, and guys, I'm telling you, I threw the ball so hard, the tips of my finger were tingling from how hard I threw the ball. So I was trying my hardest to impress these girls. And, and it, I mean, it worked because the ice was broken, and we started a conversation. And I thought things were going really, really well until one of them looked at me and said, does everyone where you live wear pants like that? Oh, my little heart was so crushed. Game over. My, you talk about identity crisis. 
You talk about spiraling. You talk about self-esteem issues. I was like, what is going on? Listen, I went home and I reevaluated my wardrobe at that point. <laughs> it certainly caused me to begin to. It didn't change anything because Desra still chose me and I dressed crazy. So when she met me too. Uh, but it did cause me to begin to reevaluate some things. People's responses and reactions to you, situations and circumstances beyond your control, all of those things, no matter what stage of life you're in, can cause you to begin to look at yourself and become unsure of, really, really, what's, who am I? Really, am I what I thought I was? Do people see me in a way that is congruent with how I see myself? And how does God see me? And when I behave in a way that, that I think I understand his word says that I'm not supposed to behave, behave, does he still love me? Does he still accept me? Well, we've been looking deeply um, at the book of Romans this month because I believe that Paul, in him dealing with these issues between uh, the Jewish believers that were there and the Gentile believers that were there, at the crux of this really incredible theological truth on justification that he was teaching, he was balancing sort of this, this cultural interaction uh, that was happening. And at the heart of it, he was dealing with identity issues, how I see myself. Do I see myself through the, the good works that I do or how hard I try? Or do I see myself through guilt and condemnation? Or am I just free to do whatever I want to do? Or does the reality of Christ have some, have some hold on my life? And so as we've been looking at this, uh, this month, we've learned some things. We've learned that identity crisis are seasons of internal conflict arising from uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of self becomes insecure. This is typically due to change or incongruency related to expectations or incongruence of expectations. You know, moments in your life when somebody looks at you and asks you, do people really dress like that? And you thought it was the coolest thing you ever had in your life. It could be as simple as something like that when you're really young. Or it could be an environment in which you go into work every day and you think your boss hates you and is doing everything he can to destroy you. Or you've been raised in church and you've been taught that behaving a certain way and doing certain things was what it took to please God. And all of your life you've lived, you've lived with guilt and condemnation because you can't live up to that standard. Maybe you were taught that attraction was ugly and attraction was sinful and attraction was a bad thing. And, and you struggle with, hey, I am attracted to people. Does that make me sinful? And you haven't been taught what scripture teaches, which really it's about self-control and how you deal with those attractions. And so now your whole sense of self is messed up in the fact that you feel dirty and ugly and unclean because biologically you're attracted to people. Are you with me? Many of us have lived with those things that work in our life and it creates for us identity crisis. So as we've explored this letter to Paul We've learned a few things. We've learned that healthy identity comes from knowing who you are in Christ. Listen, friend, at the end of the day, if you and I can settle knowing who we are in Christ, it can, it can create quiet. What Paul talks about over and over and over again, it can create peace in our life in the middle of the storm. It can create peace in our life, in our relationships. It can create peace in our life even when things are spinning out of control because I am rooted. I know who I am. When my world is not aligning with my sense of self, it produces insecurity in me. 
All of a sudden now I begin to look at myself differently. I begin to relate to other people differently. My relationships become disjointed and, and, and out, of, out of sync because all of a sudden I'm dealing with the ramifications of insecurity in my life. Insecurity is a sense of deficiency or shortcoming that produces uncertainty. Uncertainty in how I relate to God, uncertainty in how I relate to others, and more importantly, uncertainty in how I relate to myself. Insecurity has a way of manifesting itself, and we've talked openly over the last several weeks at how insecurity manifests itself, how it causes some of us to be, to be like the, the teenage boy who's going to break his arm throwing a ball as hard as he can to try to impress people. Or it could be like the guy who's loud and obnoxious in the boardroom because the only way he knows for people to know who he is or what he is or what he's all about is that he dominate the conversation. Or it can look like the person who's curled up in the corner who doesn't, who doesn't want to be seen, who doesn't want to be heard, who doesn't know how, how to stand up for themselves or doesn't know how to relate to others or doesn't know how to create boundaries in their life because they're dealing with insecurity. Insecurity can take all kinds of extremes in our life. It can lead us to being hypercritical or it can lead us to being destructively anxious. Those behavior patterns in our life leave many of us Many of us in places and spaces that cause us to not really be able to fully realize our identity as God has created us. The power of identification through Christ is the, eradic is the eradication of insecure, shame-producing, and reproducing patterns in my life. We learned last week that Christ has justified us, and that, that actually means something in my life. It means, it means that shame has been eradicated. How do I know that shame has been eradicated? I know that ra shame has been eradicated in my life because it's not continually being produced in me. It's not being produced through me being hypercritical, or it's not produced through me being hypersensitive. I know that shame is defeated in my life because it's not being reproduced. I'm not pushing it on other people. I don't feel a need to be hypercritical of everything you do so I feel better about myself. I don't need to point out all of your sin so that I can hide my sin. I'll say this over here. I don't need to point out all of your sin so that I can feel better about my sin. I don't need to one-up you in the boardroom and point out all of the mistakes that you've made on your sales report so that I feel better about my lack of performance on my sales report. Is it okay that I just get right down here where we're living? Because that's how it looks in the boardroom. That's how it looks in the classroom. That's how it looks in the marriage. That's how it looks in our everyday life. And see, when I've, when I've dealt with shame, when I've allowed Christ to transform me from the inside out, and I'm not living in shame, and shame isn't ruling in my life, all of a sudden the way it manifests itself through insecurity isn't my reality. As we move forward today, I want us to read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. It says, now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Remember, we've had that conversation. If you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, as we've led up to this point, you can always go to our website. And uh, on our website, you can download the podcast from the previous, uh, from the previous messages. We've talked about how uh, this, this sort of 
balance between the Jewish people who, who thought their righteousness came from the law and this balance between the Gentiles who had rejected the law and Paul's sort of bringing this together. But now the righteousness of God has been a manifest apart from the law. Although the law of the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A life of faith means that I align, get this, a life of faith means that I align my bent, I align my beliefs, I align my behavior with the bearing of one with humble certainty of their status. When I have faith, when faith is at work in me, I am transformed. I'm not the, I'm not the insecure 13-year-old anymore. I'm not the bitter, angry 70-year-old anymore. I'm not the mistreated, hateful, broken, midlife crisis, looking around to defend myself at every moment for anything that may come my way that undermines my already broken, I, I'm not that person anymore. All of a sudden, because of what Christ has done in me, my bent, my posture, how I view the world, how I relate to the world, it changes. As a, as a person who has faith, that is working in my life. Abraham had faith that was at work. It meant something began to happen. He began to move toward the promise of God. My bent is toward the promise of God. It's toward the calling of the promise, the identity that God has given me. Now I'm moving toward God. I walk into the boardroom and I don't need to, I don't need to in the boardroom make sure everybody knows my name. Because whether they know my name or not, my name is known. It's written down in, come on. Whether they know my name or not, my name is known. It's in the Father's mouth. He knows me. Whether they promote me or not, it doesn't matter. I've already been promoted. They just don't know it yet. That's how I live. That's how I act. I walk into the room. Remember, we talked about this. I walk into the room. I know I belong there. Not because anyone else said I belong there. I belong there because the Father made, made way for me into that room. Even if it's in the presence of my enemy, it doesn't matter. He made the way for me to be there. You don't have to acknowledge me. You don't have to know my name. Nobody has to know who I am or what I am. It doesn't matter. They didn't create me. And they're not going to determine what happens with me. They may think they do, but they don't. My bent is that I am known by the Father. So I don't have to prove myself. My beliefs... My beliefs have been determined, and therefore my behavior aligns with it. But notice that expression, with a humble certainty of their status. Here's, here's where we often get in, in uh, where we often struggle is with that word humility. Do you know what humility is? Humility, um, humility is not weakness. Humility is power under control. That's what humility really is. 
Humility is power under control. When the Bible talks about humility, it's not talking about someone who is powerless. It's talking about someone who knows their power and chooses restraint. Who has wisdom to know when to engage or release their power because their identity isn't determined by their power. Because their power has been given to them, they didn't earn it. Their power is not their power because they followed the law of Moses. See, we're digging deep into the book of Romans. you got to get this. The Jewish believers there believed that their power, that their righteousness, that their, that their name as being Jewish gave them power. It gave them right. It gave them an entitlement. Paul says, listen, you, you don't, you're not entitled to anything. Remember, we read it earlier. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We've all fallen short. The law has taught us that none of us are righteous in our works, in what we've done. The law has taught us that we need mercy, that we need grace. But because of mercy, because of grace, we have power. When I can embrace the fact that my power is transcendent, it is outside of me, then I can walk with it in humility because I know that it's not mine. I'm simply stewarding it. And because I'm stewarding it, I can walk in humility. I can be under control. I can show restraint. I don't need you to acknowledge it to know it's there. I don't need you to acknowledge it to know that it's there because it didn't come from you. It didn't even come from me. It came from him. And as I walk in humility, I, I also understand that the only way that it's executed in my life is that he is at work in me. But that humility creates a certainty in me that allows me to move in and out of places and spaces with an assurance and a confidence and a calm the ability to not be shaken, the ability to not be turned upside down, even when everything around me is upside down. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Paul's been building, he's been making this case. He said, you know, as righteousness exists in our life, there's... There's a claim, a call that righteousness has on us. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Remember, there, there are two extremes of identity crisis. There are two extremes of insecurity. There's the extreme of hyper confidence and there's the extreme of hyper lack of confidence. And Paul's bringing into the center of that and saying, no, 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 in Christ there is this humble certainty. And let me help you to understand this humble certainty. This humble certainty means that, that everything that I have I give to the Lord. My body is now 
It is now, it's because the, the, the Gentile believers, they were on the other extreme from the law. So instead of following all these laws, they had come out of hedonism that just says, do whatever feels good to you. Whatever's right to you in your own eyes, you do that. And as you do that, then you're fully realized. And so they're coming out of that mindset. Paul says, no, somewhere in the middle of all of that is the truth. And the truth is this, that you can't save yourself, but that once you are saved, things change. Let me say that again. You can't save yourself, but once you are saved, things change. And you should begin to expect them to change. As a practical example that I've used throughout this message that's already made some of you uncomfortable, I might as well go ahead and press it further. You're going to have sexual attraction because that is a biological reality of our existence. Being saved means that now the fruit of the Spirit starts to exist in your life. And so you should expect that while you're going to still experience sexual attraction, that sexual attraction isn't going to rule your life because now self-control is beginning to develop inside of you. I'm not a victim because I'm not an animal. My identity is not defined by my attraction because that's nonsense. It's called being a beast. It's called being an animal. And the difference between those of us who are in Christ and those of us who are not in Christ is that my attractions, that my affinities, that my passions, that my appetites are not what drive me anymore because the Spirit of God is inside of me redefining me and giving me self-control. That now lust doesn't rule in my life because, oh, by the way, there's not just self-control. There's also love at work inside of me. So when I see a person that I'm attracted to because love is working inside of me, something is speaking inside of me that says that person is created in the image of God. They're not a piece of meat. And so something inside of me says that I can't allow my mind and my spirit to go to a place where I objectify them because guess what? Something inside of me is causing my eyes to see them differently through the lens of love. And so that animal attraction that exists inside of me doesn't rule me anymore. Now I don't have to live with insecurity and brokenness in relationships with other people because guess what? The fruit of the Spirit is at work inside of me, redefining my relationships, creating boundaries that are healthy and life-giving and Christ-like. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, get this. As your mind is being transformed, here's what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's a grace gift that's at work inside of me. Now, all of a sudden, there is there's clarity. There is confidence. There is the capacity to see and to know in situations, to have direction, to be able to see in my relationships, to see in the things that I do. What should I be thinking here? How should I see this situation? How should I make this decision? The assurance of my kingdom identity creates clarity and humility in me. Romans teaches us that the assurance of our kingdom identity creates clarity and humility in me. So for the Jewish believers who had 
who had become a part of the church, now all of a sudden Paul says, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is at work inside of you, helping you to understand how the law works. The law works in that it's there to reveal brokenness in us. It's not there to make you righteous. It's there because it is the expression of once righteousness is at work inside of you. Get it? Get it straight. And he's looking at those Gentiles and he's saying to them, listen, all of that freedom, all of that, all of that, just do whatever you feel and all of that animal instincts, just do that. That can't rule in your life because you see that leads to destruction. But here's, here's what's at work. You're going to know, you're going to know how to relate to others and you're going to understand how others are going to relate to you. You're going to have clarity in these relationships because the Holy Spirit is active at work inside of you, recreating you in the image of Christ. As you, like Christ, lay up your body and say, here it is as a sacrifice. This is what Paul's painting this picture of Jesus going to the cross and laying down his body on the cross. Paul's hearkening us to that same life where we say, this flesh, I can give it up, I can let it go because my identity isn't this flesh. What happens to this body, what happens in this life doesn't define me because my power isn't limited to this moment in this existence. So I can live with a greater sense of clarity because I know who I am in Christ. And that, of course, produces that humility that we're already talking about. From Romans chapter 12, really forward throughout the entire book, all the way to the end, Paul transitions into really practical, very clear instructions for this diverse group of believers about how they, as a diverse community, can start to come together and manifest, express the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So like, really, he, he gives them some like really practical things to say, this is how you know the Holy Spirit is at work bringing transformation into this diverse community. He comes to, he comes to Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to you. I know it's a little bit long, but it's important that we hear this, because this is Paul really crescendoing this conversation from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15 of expressing some practical things. He says this, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let that, let that settle in a little bit. Paul's called them to this place where he says, it's not about you. Insecure people always make it about them. People who are in identity crisis are so fixated on themselves, they have no bandwidth to consider other people. But Paul has called them to this other place, and he says, as strong people, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourself, for it not to be about you. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. I oh, had to play the Jesus card, didn't he? For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul has called this diverse community, this church where there was fighting going on, this this church that was racially, socioeconomically, culturally diverse and couldn't get along and couldn't see how they're how is that person a christian when they when they eat those things how is that person a christian when they're so judgy about this thing how is this person really love jesus when they talk like that how is this person really love jesus when they behave like that paul is saying to all of them listen maybe just maybe some of the stuff that you've always believed that you've attributed to god's word You might want to check and make sure it's there. You might want to check and make sure that that's actually in God's word and not just your culture. Because, oh, by the way, to the Jewish believers, hey, these laws that you thought led to salvation, really, they really don't lead to salvation. To the the Gentile believers, this freedom that you think you have to just do whatever you want and to flaunt your whatever and do your whatever, actually, when the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you, when you're really maturing, it's going to look different than that. And so Paul calls them to this place of sensitivity and says, hey, when you're really strong, when you're really mature, things look different. Look Real quickly, I, I don't have a lot of time to do this, but let me... Let me just give you some highlights real quick. From chapter 12 through chapter 15, things that he says. And during your daily 20, let me encourage you, during your daily 20 this week, I want to encourage you to read from Romans chapter 12 all the way through the end of the book. And you may, on your phone or with your notes there, just take some of this stuff down. Look for this stuff. He starts in chapter 12, and he he says some things. He says, listen, when... When the Spirit of God is really at work inside of you and you, you've dealt with your identity issues and your insecurities over with, guess what you can do? You can embrace and celebrate, celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. You can be, you can be a church in, in which uh, your cultural differences, your racial differences, your socioeconomic differences, even your worldview differences don't get in the way of you being brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, you can celebrate the fact, Romans show, you can celebrate the fact that you have different kinds of gifts, that you worship different, that you speak about God differently, that you express Him differently. In fact, you can even receive from each other as a body when you're mature in this thing. He says, listen, uh, as this is at work in you, in chapter 12, he continues to talk about it. He says, listen, this is what happens. You obliterate pettiness, competitiveness, and self-protective uh, expressions of insecurity as you're maturing in your identity with Christ. I'm going to say that one again because I know it's not on the screen because I was just going to give it to you quick, but I want to make sure you hear it, hear it. You can obliterate pettiness, competitiveness, and self-protective expressions of insecurity because, chapter 12, because I've been redefined by love. And and Paul, he's bold. Paul's so bold. He says, this is not even just for the people you like. It's also for your enemies. Go read in Romans chapter 12. This is for your enemies also. You'll not be petty, competitive, self-protective towards your enemies because you love them, because love rules in you. Because when you're not, when you're not insecure, When the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you producing the fruit of the Spirit, 
love is going to be your expression, and it's not going to look like insecurity. Self-assurance in Christ, chapter 13, self-assurance in Christ empowers me to honor without reservation or precondition. Again, Paul was bold. He went so bold uh, talking to people who were being persecuted in Rome to say to them, even those who are in authority over you, you'll be able to submit to them. When the Holy Spirit is really at work inside of you and you're not dealing with insecurity and you're not dealing with identity crisis issues, you're even going to be able to submit to non-believers who are in authority over you because your view of the world is going to be so rooted in the fact that your identity is in Christ and no one can take it away from you. It doesn't matter what they do. And it doesn't even matter what it costs you. Now, let's not play around here. We're not just talking about not being mad at the government because, they, because of load shedding. We're talking, about, we're talking about not being mad or rebelling against the government that's hanging you upside down on crosses. So let's have some perspective about our persecution. Before we identify ourselves with people who are being, uh, who are being tortured and maimed, Let's have some perspective about the world that we live in in relation to those who are in authority over us. We're not talking about a cranky boss who just doesn't like you. We're, we're not even talking about a racist boss who, who, you know, is just keeping you away from that next opportunity. We're talking about these were people who were, you know, their kids were being kidnapped and put in slavery and killed. And, and Paul writes to them and says, listen, when this is real in your life, you're going to have the capacity to submit to authorities that you don't even understand because your perspective is that God is so big that he's bigger than them. That's huge, folks. Romans 13, he says, the clarity or the clear rhythm of my identity, it filters out the noise of my flesh. Oh, this is so good filters out the noise of my flesh. Romans 13, 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. He covers the whole gamut. Some of, some of you guys, you don't struggle with lust, but you're jealous of everybody who's got what you don't have. So Paul is just like, he's getting everybody. Let me get you all. Here's the thing. When when the Holy Spirit is really at work inside of you, he's clearing out all that noise in your flesh. Some of us have a hard time loving people because we're, we're jealous. Some of us have a hard time loving ourselves because we live with so much guilt and condemnation because the Holy Spirit hasn't worked out some of the other stuff in our life. You got, are you with me today? Paul says, listen, here's what happens when, when your identity changes. All of a sudden, you get this supernatural capacity to handle stuff. That natural desire for more, that natural need for validation becomes less and less and less of a problem. Because I have nothing to prove, there is more room in my life for others. Because I have nothing to prove, I don't need you to agree with me. I don't need with you, you to prove my righteousness. He gets into this in, in chapter 14 when he starts talking about, hey, um, some people are going to want to eat some foods and say that the Lord said to, for them to do that, and some people are going to want to eat other foods, and you guys can't get along because you're trying to fight about who's the holiest. 
And Paul says, listen, there's just no, when, when this is right inside of you, I don't need you, I don't need you to agree with me to go on my Daniel fast January 1 of 2023. I'm not on a Daniel fast, by the way. But I don't, I don't need you to be on a Daniel fast when I'm on a Daniel fast to think that you are holy. I don't need you, I don't need you to eat what I eat for me to think you're godly. It's exactly what they were dealing with. Some of you have been so offended, I haven't called a fast. I haven't felt led to call a fast, but you're, please, if God speaks to you fast, and I promise you, when God calls, tells me to call our church a fast, we'll, we will do it. But just because it's January 1 doesn't mean, and, and I'm still holy. I'm still seeking his face. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? But if we're not careful, this stuff can mess us up because church tradition says that we fast January 1 of every year. So what's wrong with North Place? We're not fasting. I'm really sorry if you have asked me to fast, and I, I'm not talking about you, okay? That I'm aware of, no one's, but I know some of you are thinking. Boy, I've gotten myself into like a hole right now. Using an illustration that was not in my notes. Oh, it's always a problem. Anyways, that whole chapter 14, man, it's challenging. Go read that in your daily journal. There's this sense of maturity when my identity is settled in Christ that, like, I don't, I don't get my validation from you having to, you having to have the same boundaries and barriers that I have in my life. And, and vice versa, I don't need to enforce mine on you either. Like, I understand, I understand that this freedom in Christ, that this freedom in Christ creates a way in which God is at work in you that may be different than he's at work in me. And perhaps, perhaps I need to be on a fast right now and you don't. And that's not for me to judge. Toxic insecurity says that I can only be right if you are wrong. That I can only... I can only move forward if you are taking steps back. That's how the world views its relationships. And God says that's, that's not how relationship works. Romans 14 says that's not how relationship works. And then he comes to Romans 15, what I just read, and he says, ah, guys, here's really what it's all about. Really what it's all about is you and I coming to a place that I'm so complete, I'm so fulfilled in Christ that I can live according to the law of the weaker brother and I can look at you and I can say, because I love you and I care about you, if my, meat, if my eating meat in front of you right now is going to cause you to stumble, I can push away the steak because the steak really isn't that important. I can look at you and say, if, if, if my behavior in this way is going to hurt you because I love you so much, I don't need to prove my point to you, and I don't, need to, I don't need to demand my freedom to you. What's more important to me is that you not stumble, and that's maturity. What's more important to me in this situation is your health, because my health is secure. 